Welcome to the Winning Edge podcast. This week we're joining leading form analyst and director of successful syndication business at Australian Bloodstock, Luke Murrell. Thanks for joining us, Luke. Yeah, no problem at all. So you're already a well-established name in the industry, um, but for those out there who don't know your story and background, let's start off with how you got into racing and ultimately um, established Australian Bloodstock. Yeah, um, initially I got into a like everybody, just loved the horses and loved the bet. Um, spent most of my school in the TABs and whatnot. So um, got into a lease horse. It was a terrific fun. Then got into a, an expensive um, yearling, got ripped off. And I sort of put two and two together and decided I, was, I wanted to give bookmaking a bit of a go and went and learned with Rob Waterhouse. And the rest sort of all happened from there, really. So um, started out buying two and three thousand dollar horses and trying to win a race and then trade them up the line and um we we had a heap of luck doing that just using a bit of uh taking it taking the emotion out of things and treating them as a bit of a commodity and um yeah we were quite successful and just sort of parlayed from there and i guess that success is sort of um evidenced in tomorrow's sydney cup you've got 20 percent of the the field in the in the race so that's a a big tick yeah i just um look it's sort of not to be blasé about it, but um, to me, I'm sort of at the stage, it's all, you know, you've got to hit the target. Um, great to have a runner, and look, there's lots of owners in those horses that have never had a runner in a group race, let alone a group one, so I'm, I'm really happy for them. But, um, you know, for us, you sort of, um, we're pretty, pretty fine margins in our business. We're very different to the other syndicators, and, and we need to stay alive by getting success and hopefully one of them can stick their neck out and, and get a good check. So let, let's go through the runners. You've got Shrove, um, Red Cardinal, Big Duke and Dukan. Who's the top seed? Um, I think it was in a straight race, nothing to do. Um, the best horse is Red Cardinal. I thought leading into the race, the best chance was Big Duke. Post-barrier draws, it's Shra. So I know that's a, a bet each way, but... Um, I think there's no doubt Red Cardinal's got the most quality in class. Um, big fan of Kieran McAvoy, but to be fair, his last ride was no good at all um, and didn't help the horse, I suppose. But to be fair, he did look after him late. Um, and it's just whether that run um, has taken the edge off the horse sort of going into a Sydney Cup. Um, is by Monchu and a little quirky thing with that breed, they all love their race's space. So... I think going forward for Red Cardinal, whether he runs well or fails, will sort of the, the aim has always been to try and space his runs. Um, I think we've seen that now under Chris's sort of care. We, we've done that, and, and he's done really well. Um, but he's sort of he's a horse that can handle a firm track, but um, he probably handles a heavy track better than most horses. So. We were always looking for um, the more rain, the better with him. But I'm sort of working on it's probably going to be a, a dead five type track, so won't hurt him. But um, probably brings him back to the pack a bit. And obviously, we've got a rubbish barrier there, so we've um, you know he'll be from the start of, um, put the right hand blinker on and just snag back to the tail, I suppose. And you would have any any issues with either of the four uh, running the two miles? No, um, oh, I've got a nagging doubt on Shra, to be honest. Um, 
He's on the work I do with my sectionals. I've just got a nagging suspicion that last two or three hundred metres, he might be looking for a place to lie down. But um, I've I've been super impressed with him. He's a horse that hates wet track racing with a passion, and for him to get so close on two genuine rain-affected tracks, um, I've been very, very pleased and impressed with, I suppose. Um, I know he hasn't won, but there was a run there. He was second up, and um, Big Duke was tracking him into the race, and he put five or six on him just in, in 100 metres, and that was it where he got some firmer ground. Probably wasn't quite fit enough that day, but he's got a, um, a whopping turn of foot, that horse, and um, from the barrier, obviously, he get, he's the one that gets all the favours and gets a little suck up, and um, yeah, he's um, he'll look the winner. It's just it, um, I just got this nagging doubt. His last little bit sectionally might just be a bit vulnerable. And I, and I know Dukan's um, you know not not overly fancied in the market, but um, can you make a case for the tenure? He didn't have a whole lot of luck last start, and he's probably better horse at, at Ramwick, would you say? Yeah, 100%. Um, I'm adamant he'll real nearly run top five, that horse, and look, I, I know he's 50 to 1 or something like that, but he ran top five last year, and um, like this horse would have been a Melbourne Cup horse if he'd been sound. He, he's done two tendons, some knee chips, everything possibly could have gone wrong with him, and um, Chris has done an amazing job just to, to have him back racing. But um, if you do the tapes, his run was exceptional the other day. Uh, he was picking them off late. And the old Sydney Cup sort of punters would be would be all over him on that run. But um, he's another one that um, handles the, the wet track very well and that probably just takes the, the edge off some of them when you're in that heavy track racing. And Look, he ran second in a Craven Plate at Wait for Our Age, so... Um, He's sort of he's got some quality there on his day, but he, he's the other one. I, I think he'll track Shra into the race, and I, I could see him nabbing fourth at at a big odds. And you know these type of races, I think um, this race and sort of Melbourne Cup, the the way to narrow down your field, you've got to go through and look at your horses that have um, the old Bart Cummings series that they've got to have ten thousand metres of of race runs in in there in their locker for the preparation and it's a bizarre race this year because not many of them tick that box and um a couple of the the roughies do have that aspect so personally i'm going to play a few first fours and um i think you'll you can get a result betting that way um because a completely different pain barrier even going from 2400 to the 32 it's um it's bizarre how often it, it comes comes through and i think it's a really good edge to have um, punning wise anyway Is it the type of race which can throw up a, bit, a, a rough result sometimes as well can't it? Oh absolutely like, Even old Barman, like he was everyone's favourite last year But he was still a roughie um, Waller had that thing In the orange and oh, I can't think of the horse's name Grand Marshal um, yep. a few years ago And it was, a, it was a hot race that year And he won that So, And I think that comes down to Sort of grounding and fitness and what not And you know, there's a couple of horses there that are third up tomorrow, and it's not really for Australian long distance racing. It's not really a, a proven formula going into a run with five thousand or six thousand metres under your belt. I think the more they've got under their belt, even if their form looks a bit ugly, I think that's a really big plus coming into a race like this. And you take on the might of uh, Charlie Appleby um, with 
Uh, Doobie, is he the one to beat? You, he comes off that two-mile win in Dubai? Yeah, um, I'll hand on my heart here. If he didn't have a run back in England against a horse called Communicu or Communicate, I would be saying he's a 50-to-1 chance. I, I, I didn't like him at all. Um, he beat a couple of goats in Dubai last start and, look, you know, they'd come out here and be 50-to-1 in a... You know, a Group 3 Neville Selwood. So, visually, yes, it looked very good. Um, and, look, honestly, whatever Charlie Appleby's doing is just out of this world because, like, he's they're winning races for fun in every country at the moment in Europe. It's not just Dubai or here even. It's just it's an amazing, amazing run. But for me, I, I sort of, he's not a horse that I like and I think he's taken up plenty of the market. Um and, and again, I, th- I think personally, I like to bet in races where the favourites are very sus and taking up big percentages. And look, you'll get plenty of them wrong, but I think he's nowhere near the odds that he should be. And um, yeah, I think that then obviously gives you a bit of an edge elsewhere. But look, at, um, for me, I, I, I don't like the horse, but um, just that one run that he's got and. You know, those horses, anything that he beat that day would come here and, and win group one. So, um, but on the balance, I'm saying he's a bit of a, a bit of a big question mark. And, and when you look at um, these big races on the calendar, where does it all start? Like, where, where do you, you map out the plan for a horse or where do you even, you know, start the preparation to find a horse suitable? Yeah, look, it's sort of these older... I get that question a lot, I suppose, with the guys. With a with a young horse, it's um, a complete unknown, and and you've sort of got everything open when you've got a younger horse. With these sort of old crocodiles, they're sort of they're pretty exposed, and, and you know what you're sort of dealing with. Um, and it's more you've sort of probably got a plan A and plan B, and um, if something goes wrong, you've got that backup there. But these type of horses, um, yeah, they're, they're sort of. There's not a lot of um, options or planning, largely because of their ratings, you know, and so you're forced and and made to go into certain races. Um, but, you know, once you get into the sort of the, the caravan of these sort of group races, it's um, it's amazing fun and, yeah, it's just... Um, you just hope for a bit of luck on the day and I, um, I think if, you know, any of your owners get a chance to just have a... A two percent share in a horse, just grab it. It's um, it makes your whole week go quicker. You sort of, you look at the nominations come Monday, Tuesday the weights come out, and Wednesday's the final field. And um, yeah, it's a good sideline. And I think a lot of people that are punters are, are naturally competitive people. And um, yeah, it's just another edge, another way you can sort of experience sort of the racing bug. But um, yeah, it's a good thing to do. And you've got um, some more owners with uh, Group on Hopes tomorrow as well, with um, Oliferous backing up in the Oaks. Yeah, look, um, it was a funny feeling last start. I was, I was heavily on the stable, mate, heavily, and um, I didn't give her a great chance. Um, she'd been very one-paced in her... Um, she got a horrible ride the start before at Kembla, and the, the start prior to that, she won really well. But she'd been very one-paced, but... Um, her, her whole female side, Pat Carey used to train a lot of them, and um, they're all out now stayers. So her sectionals, even again there on the weekend, I think she's one that will run the trip out no problem. And it looks typical Oaks. You know, you've got your two classy horses, and then you've got 
probably three that can three or four that can run a place and the rest are just roadblocks so um yeah i, I think she's generally in that three or four horses that that could be there and run third or fourth um but it looks a pretty skinny race that race and um again i thought the, the favorite was a bit bit unusual it's sort of i didn't have a lot of speed in the race and um for a horse like Alifra, she's going to get back anyway because she's touchy herself. And there's a number of horses there that are probably distanced outs, and they're going to get back. And that favourite, she she does a hell of a lot wrong. And I've never liked to sectionally anything over two thousand. So I thought she was a great risk on the day. That that favourite, and that just opens the race up, especially knowing that everyone knows she you know she's touchy in the mouth and she over races and she's a bit of a head case. She could easily pull herself into the ground and, and not run anywhere, but. Um, yeah, that was a good betting race, I thought, that one. But um, it's uh, for a it's sort of it's, – it's a funny thing, the, the whole breeding industry and how it works. Prior to the race, um, she was probably worth thirty or 40000 that that filly. And post-race, she's probably worth four or 500000 So when you get a, a filly that can run – for black type and that's why you see a lot of mares races there's a lot of things in there at 50 and 100 to 1 and you think well what's it wasting its time for but their value can just absolutely skyrocket if they can win a win a stakes race and the winner of tomorrow's oaks race is probably going to be worth one and a half to two million post race whether it's a 100 to 1 shot or it's the, the hot favorite so um just a different angle on it obviously a lot of punters don't think of it that way but um yeah it's sort of for us, we're, we're heading there, probably not thinking we can win, but hoping we can run third or fourth type thing. Was the Oaks always an, um, a target race for her? Or? Yeah, just because she's got a, an out-and-out sort of stayers sort of pedigree on the on the female side, that was always going to be a hope. To be frank, we, we thought it was going to be more Queensland than, um, than Sydney. Um, but that sort of Adrian Knox forms never generally any good at all. But um, it's always not a bad platform when, for horses that want to go to Queensland. And that was generally, we thought, well, we'll go there, see how she does, run well, and then head on to sort of to Queensland. But given she was so strong and, um, to be fair, it does look a two-horse race, the Oaks. You sort of think, well, geez, you've got to have a crack at it. And, um, again, if she runs a place, she, she probably adds another couple hundred thousand to her, her value as well. Yeah. And, and with um, Princess Posh in the Coolmore cool Legacy, the firmer track help her a little bit? Yeah, um, she's a funny horse. So sort of, she can handle a firm, but I think her best sort of surface is a slow, and I think she doesn't handle a heavy at all. Um, she started in the market last start on a on a track that I had as nearly bottomless and where obviously it was a day where they couldn't make up much ground. and She was pretty disappointing, but I've always sort of doubted her slightly at the on the real heavy stuff so back to a five or a six tomorrow that'll suit her um personally on the ratings i didn't have her anywhere in the picture um she i just think she's that level down from your really good horses if you know if, to be fair if elise turns up well elise just wins um and then obviously dixie blossoms we backed her in the doncaster and she was quite unlucky but um she's the other class and there's 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 bits and pieces in that race and I just thought for Poshy, you know, like she was a horse I think we paid thirty thousand for, like we paid nothing for her and she's she's probably one 
you know, 400 plus and she's probably worth five or 600 as it is as a broodmare. So she sort of owes us nothing and it's one of those ones where she's getting sold in the next couple of months. So you just sort of run her in everything and you never know if she, if she could snag a hole that adds a bit more value. But from a punning and point of view, personally, I don't like her at all. I thought she should be long odds and um, would need a hell of a lot of luck. But the big thing going with her and probably the reason she's one of my favourites is she's just an absolute trier. She rarely puts in a bad one and they're the fun horses to race. The, I've got a couple of horses there that are group one horses and you know they put in one good one, one bad one and they're the most frustrating and disappointing yeah. where some of my worst horses are, are slow horses but geez, they put in all the time and they're, they're heaps of fun that way. Yep. They're the ones you want. And another yeah. another success story of yours, um, Brave Smash. Um, not not the result you were looking for in Dubai, but um, obviously a great experience to have a runner on World Cup night. Yeah, um, opened my eyes to a lot of things that goes on over there. Um, so that was really really fascinating. Um, we I was heading there thinking he would run top three, but he's a um, quirky horse. In if he gets going and. He was very keen in the parade ring. It was something new, and um, he's a bit on himself, the horse. He, he loves himself and was really strutting around like a little rooster. And um, The plan was to get in behind something, but from the moment the gates opened, we just didn't get any cover, and he just pulled himself into the ground. But, um, look, he's been a great horse. I think he's won nearly $3.5 million for us. And we bought him out of Japan after he'd run, you know, run last in a derby. So... Um, He's been a fun one, but he'll get a stud now, and um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully be successful there. But you know, financially, he's been great, and he's taken us everywhere, and won a heap, heap, heap of good races for us along the way. And you know, even that day where he ran third in the Everest, and that you'll always remember those type of things. And um, yeah, it was a good experience with the horse, and just got to try and replace him now. How do you think he'll be received um, as a stallion? I think he's twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, seems um, pretty good. Uh, look, I, I, th- I think so. He's sort of, his only negative is he's got a little bit of a lighter pedigree and it's an unknown pedigree, but um, Australia's got a lot of Danehill mares and um, most people know if you breed too close to Danehill, the horses just end up pretty much legless. So these stallions that don't have the Danehill do become popular. And, you know, I'm hearing reports that horses like... Um, uh, the Autumn Sun and Trapeze Artists are going to stand at seventy and 80000 And if that's the case, you're sort of you're looking at a horse that's similar rated, if not better rated than some of them, and um, he's going to be, you know, a quarter of the price. So I think for those guys that are a bit more fed income, they'll they'll use him because he's, you know, he's a successful two-, three-, four-, and five-year-old horse, and at least he proved a race on. That's a disappointing. You see a thing like Autumn Sun and... He's going to stand for 77, and, you know, the, the form around him's no good. He did run yeah. the figures, and, and I know he was a good horse, but you want to see him do it as an older horse. But, um, yeah, that's the way the breeding industry seems to work. They, they rush them off nice and early to protect them. But, um, yeah, for, for Smash, I think you'll get heaps of mares at that, at that price, you know, and uh, he was a proper Group 1 horse, and, yeah, he'll, he'll do well. And what's the future hold? Obviously, got some nice yearlings coming through and anyone's to keep an eye on or anyone's looking to syndicate that you think might have a bright future um, we've got a stitzel filly at the moment that the the breaker gave a really good rap to um, 
you know, sort of, that's not a bad head start. They're horses and they can, you know, I've had horses, one prep where the trainer, one, I still remember it was a half to a lingy and they said this thing could, we think can win the golden slipper and come back the next spell and won a maiden and then was just legless and, um, so they can be a bit of a heartbreaker, but, um, We've got some really nice sort of younger horses we bought at the end of last year from Europe that are about to step out. We've got one on Saturday called Occupy. Um, I don't think he's going to be a Group 1 horse here, but I think he'll be a group horse, and he's, he's running around in a, a Benchmark 66 at Newcastle. Um, probably going to be a little bit too short for him, but he'd be one that you really want to follow. There's another one called Our Candidate that we bought. He'd be the same. I think they they could be horses that you know go through and be like a big Duke type horse where they they win multiple races and um, sort of put a bit of a picket fence next to their name. So I like those type of horses. I think they're a they're a safe bet from an owner's point of view and from a punter's point of view. Well, they've sort of been racing much much higher grades than what they'll race over here for the first sort of half dozen starts, and they should do something um, if they climatise to our racing, but. Um, yeah, the, the stencil filly I've got, she's a, she's a lovely filly and um, Europe's just about to kick off again. So we sort of, we do probably sort of 50 hours a week minimum over there. We're just in focusing on Europe. So trying to buy the horses before they become too exposed because obviously the, then the price goes up. But um, yeah, it's a fascinating industry. There's, there's lots of angles to it. And I guess before we know it, the spring carnival will be upon us. Um You've got a Melbourne Cup in the mantelpiece with Protectionist in 2014. Which horses are going to be targeting those big races down there this year? Yeah, look, the the, the guys that we've got running Saturday will head that way. They're probably fair to say they've probably, you'd like to think that their um, chance for a Melbourne Cup's probably been and past them. But um, the sort of, we've got a horse that I thought would have won the race last year, but he, he just got a virus um, just before he was due to leave for Australia, I thought he could could win the race. He's a horse called Torcedor. Um, he's sort of rated in the top three stayers in the world and, yeah, he's a he's a fantastic horse. He's an older horse but um, if we could get him right, he could generally win the race and win it with something in hand. I'm that confident with him but being an older horse, you know, you're just always worried you've got to get another prep or two out of them. Um and, yeah, it was, we're probably a bit light for absolutely sort of top three or four genuine winning chances. So the aim this year is to try and find one or two that we think could come here and and do the job. You know, um, I was very, very keen on a horse called Supernova over there in England and basically just didn't have enough money to buy him for what they wanted. And um, obviously he ran a super race the other day in the chairman's. He'd be one, I think, is an absolute... You know, if, if he handled... He's second prep in Australia. I think he's a genuine top five chance in a Melbourne Cup. He's a ripping horse, that horse. Um, but it was a very good crop last year of two-year-olds. And generally in Europe, if they're a good two-year-old crop, that, that form does carry on, where in Australia probably can go the other way. And um, Yeah, so I'm, I'm, there's a couple there I've got my eye on, keen to try and see if we can buy this year if they um, if they show their, their form. So, yeah, but a bit quiet at the moment with those ones. And on your role as a, as a form analyst, I read you've been a punter since uh, year seven when you had a, a book with some teachers each weekend. Is that, is that where it all, all began? Yeah. Um, it was probably, yeah, a year or two earlier, and I was um, always dragged along. I used to 
play in a men's cricket team as a young fella um, from about year five onwards. And I was always dragged along to to play these sort of the in the men's competition. And they were just all mad racing guys. And I remember thinking at the time, how boring this racing. That's all they do is listen to the races and that. But um, yeah, it's uh, funny how it gets ingrained in you because it was a bit left field, the whole racing, because there was no one really in my family in racing. So... Um, and yeah, it's just a, it's just a big, big puzzle. Horse racing in general, you know, whether you're doing the form or trying to buy horses, you sort of got to work the puzzle out. And the great thing is, it's, they run again tomorrow, and they and they change again, you know. So um, yeah, it's sort of um, great industry to be in. And your package has been available with Winning Edge since late December, and you've been you've been killing it. What's your what? what where do you find your edge? Um, I sort of, I think my edge, it's pretty self-explanatory, it's pretty just lots of hours um, doing race replays. I help a few trainers and jockeys and um, so that forces you to to be consistent because you're always, every day they're wanting some information and advice on what to do with certain horses or how to ride them or whatnot. So you see a lot of horses, a lot of runs. it's like anything in life, you know, most people can be good at anything if they just do put the hours in and do the repetition. Um, I've been a bit frustrated with my results the last sort of month. I just, we're constantly treading water. We're sort of, you know, three steps forward and three back. And um, But I must say, I sort of, um, we're not losing ground. It's just, you know, it's just part of the, the whole punting world. I've been through it a hundred times, but a little bit more pressure when, you know, you, you know people are paying for a service and, and you want them to do well, I feel more pressure than than that, you know, um, than anything. So the the edge, there's no doubt if you, if you know the individual traits of a horse, it's a, it's a good edge. The, the habits of certain trainers or, you know, you'll see certain jockeys, they, they generally ride the race the same way 100 times out of 100 because they're just either... Um, they've got no faith in their ability or they're, they're not uh, game enough to do anything. And So those little one percenters, they all add up. And I think it's just as long as you're thorough and you, and you keep to a system. But um, there's no doubt if you've got the right information in terms of sectional times and that type of thing, sort of I pay for – I do a lot myself, but I also pay for – and I'd probably spend 50000 a year on external service providers to give me – you know, there's races that are – put out by Racing Australia that can be be out by three lengths, six lengths. There was one the other day that was out by nine lengths. And so if you've got that information, that gives you a real edge. Um, and, yeah, in the long term, it's your biggest worry is just trying to actually get your bets on and keep your bookmakers' accounts open um, so you can get set early. But, um, yeah, it's sort of a, an ongoing puzzle. It'd be great if they could eventually... Um, bring those minimum bit, bet laws up a bit and make them a bit more fairer for different people. But, um, yeah, that's just the probably the, the major negative with the industry. And I guess um, with your role with Australian Bloodstock, you get to know the horses, you get to know what a good horse looks like, you're a good judge of fl- horse, horse flesh, so yep. it sort of all complements each other, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's what I've found over the years. It just all sort of ties in, um, you know, if I'm... If I'm doing some videos out wide just because I'm trying to find another winner for, for me as a punter and obviously from my clients as punters, 
you occasionally see a horse and think, shit, you know, we could improve that horse. You know, there's um, there's plenty of good trainers out there, plenty of bad ones, plenty of good jockeys and whatnot. And a lot of the times, um, there's different things that you'll hear trainers and jockeys and comment on the radio and you think, my goodness, they haven't done any form or they don't know their own individual horse. So those are the types of stables you like to buy off. Um, and, you know, like we've bought lots of, you know, ten and $20,000 horses and you've just bought them with the sole purpose to win a race or two and then you move them on to make a little profit. And I get a good thrill out of that because, you know, you're not spending a lot of money and you can double your money in a month or six weeks plus get a photo on the wall plus have a little punt. It's, um, it all works out pretty good, you know, generally. Yep. Lovely. All right, thanks, Luke. Um, thanks for joining us, and uh, good luck tomorrow and good luck for the rest of the year, and hopefully you can get another Melbourne Cup trophy <laughs> later on. I've got to get 12. That's my aim, so I'm a long way behind, so I've got to get cracking. <laughs> I'm sure you get close. <laughs> thanks, mate. Thanks very much.